This is VLX number 142, The Abomination of Desolation. We are in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 28. VLX stands for Video Lexi Divina, your patristic Bible study and Ignatian prayer series online. God give you his peace and nomine patris fidi et spiritu sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patris fidi et spiritu sancti. Amen. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as there has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say to you, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So Merry Christmas and Happy Epiphany season. I think most of you listen to this on Apple iTunes or Spotify or one of your Android apps. But if you are watching this on YouTube, the one advantage is that you can follow playlists. And the nice thing about uh, YouTube is you can go through all of the uh, CPX series. That's the Catechism of Pius X or my new RCT series, the Roman Catechism of Trent, or you can go all the way through VLX. So if you're new to this series and you're listening to this on audio, not video, my suggestion, I rarely people, I rarely suggest people to the form of YouTube. My suggestion, if you want to catch up on all the VLX, go to the YouTube playlist, and every channel has a whole pull-down menu of playlists. Go on YouTube to the playlist called VLX, and you can catch up on all of Matthew's gospel. So thanks to the new listeners, and especially thanks to the old ones who are my donors who keep this going for free for anybody. Everybody, rather. So the first verse here is, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, dot, dot, dot. Okay, now Christ is here referring to Daniel chapter 12, which reads this, Many shall be chosen and made white and shall be tried as fire, and the wicked shall deal wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the learned shall understand. And from the time when the continual sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination unto desolation shall be set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred ninety days. That is Daniel chapter 12, verses 10 to 11. So let's unpack this a little bit. Father Lapide writes about this verse. Some understand by it an idol placed in the temple, Others, Antichrist himself, who will desire to be worshipped in the temple as God. Okay, now let's unpack this a little bit. This is one reason why we have to realize really how apocalyptic are our days in 2023 and 2024, that 
there are statues, get this everyone, there are statues of Luther and a pagan idol in the Vatican, only placed there in the last 10 years. This isn't just like, you know, on and off switches for 2,000 years. People love the pendulum analogy. No. There is a Luther statue and a Pacamama statue placed in the Vatican only the last 10 years. These two wicked statues are further proof why I think that the temple of 2 Thessalonians is the Vatican, not a future temple in Jerusalem, or perhaps it's both. But remember, it was the mother of God at La Salette, not me, who said Rome would lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. Is putting a statue of Luther in there and a Pacamama not enough to realize really how deep we are in here? And also, did you just hear what is linked to the abomination of desolation in Daniel 12? Nobody doubts that Christ just had a direct link to Daniel 12. And it reads this, And from the time when the continual sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination unto desolation shall be set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred ninety days. Okay, what do you think is the continual sacrifice? Traditionalists much less uh, extreme than me, even probably a lot of mainstream Catholic scholars will say this is the Mass. I would say it's the traditional Latin Mass. So we just noticed that the same person who takes away the traditional Latin Mass will place the abomination of desolation in the holy place. And again, this is uh, the words right out of Daniel 12, the continual sacrifice shall be taken away. That's what it says in the Dewey Reims Bible. We're going to come back to the end of the world and the destruction of Rome, but let's rewind 2,000 years to the destruction of Jerusalem and what our Lord has to say about that in verses 16 and 17 and 18. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Okay, now why would someone be on their roof 2,000 years ago in Judea or Jerusalem? Father Lapide simply writes about something historical. He says, Let him, which is on the housetop, for the Jewish roofs were flat, so that they could walk and sleep upon them, not come down, but flee suddenly, so that he might save his life and lose everything. A few things lost in translation right there, but basically what it's saying is that because Jerusalem's hot, they kept the roofs flat so people could go up there, take walks around, maybe they were covered and they could sleep under them. And so this is why someone, when they have to flee Jerusalem, might be on their roof because Jews in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and if I remember correctly, actually maybe even now, spend a lot of time on these flat roots, roofs, kind of like Brooklyn today. And then we have uh, verse 19. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. So this is Christ's warning uh, before the destruction of the temple. He's telling those Jews who would listen to him, who would become baptized Catholics between his passion, death, and resurrection and 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. They got 40, 40 years to figure this out, listen to him, convert, believe in the gospel, be baptized. And by this point, they're going to talk to the um, apostles. Remember, you have to remember the Bible's not written yet, but these were literally our Lord's words. So these Jews who get baptized become Christians. They're going to hear the apostles talk about what Jesus says is coming in the year 70 AD. And so they're going to, they're going to understand they have to flee here. And our Lord is warning especially to get out if you're pregnant or nursing infants. Now, the Greek there for pregnant is interesting. It's thais, which meaning which is those in the sentence. Thais means those. We haven't gotten to the word pregnant yet. So we have thais meaning those, and then the word en, which is the same as English in. And then skip one word because we're going to come back to it. 
And then the next word is ehusais, meaning having. Okay, and then back to the word we skipped. That is gastri. Gastri. That's obviously the root word of the English gastrointestinal and many other adjectives about the stomach in English. So the two Greek words is ehusais gastri, meaning having in the stomach region, having in the gastro system. Now, of course, we today call the reproductive system a totally different system from the GI system, but the Greek is just saying there that those having babies in the stomach region really don't want to be around Jerusalem in 70 AD. Basically, you don't want to be pregnant in the city when Jerusalem is destroyed because because it's going to be really, really bad. And then our Lord warns in verse 20, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. In other words, pray that you can flee on a day that's not in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, the word in uh, Hebrew or Aramaic and Latin and Greek right there is Saturday, not Sunday. There's a lot of Catholics I hear today say you have to respect the Sabbath. No, um, even the New Catechism, and I use even uh, purposely, even the New Catechism is clear. Sabbath is still Saturday. Okay, what is Sunday? That's the Lord's Day. And this is a lot easier to get for those of you who speak Romance languages because Saturday is still sabato in Spanish. And then what do we call Sunday in Spanish? Domingo, same root word as the Lord. So the Lord's Day. So Spanish speakers get this a lot quicker than American English speakers because we often think we still have to respect the Sabbath. No. The commandment for us now, uh, the third commandment for us pertains to Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, not the Sabbath. Okay, but then this brings us right back to the question, why in the world would Christ care about Saturdays if he is the one who established Sunday as the new day of worship? Well, Father Lapide predicts this question as he writes, You will say that the Sabbath, as well as other ordinances of the law, has already been abrogated by Christ when Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus. And by the way, I add here, yes, he's totally correct. Father Lapide continues, And even if they had not been abrogated, it would have been allowed by the law of nature that persons should go many miles to save their lives. I answer, and then here's where Father Lapide explains our confusion, and he, or rather he sheds light on our confusion. He says, Christ is speaking of Jews and Christians who still Judaized, who were wont, that means likely, to observe the Sabbath with such overscrupulosity that they preferred to die rather than flee or defend themselves against the attacks of their enemies upon the Sabbath. So that isn't an accident. Christ actually did mean Saturday, not Sunday there. And it's just an extra warning to them, hey, if you fall back into worship on Saturday, you're going to be especially vulnerable to staying around in the city and you're going to get destroyed. Now, Father Lapide also writes of the newly baptized Jews who persevered, persevered in their newfound Catholicism, and how they fled Jerusalem because they believed Jesus. They believed Jesus, his words, his warnings, coming to them before the destruction of the temple, about the destruction of the temple, and he writes this. In this way, the Christians, mindful of this prediction of Christ and warned by a divine oracle, fled across the Jordan to a city named Pella and even carried their property there, as well as the Episcopal chair of St. James, Eusebius says that this chair was preserved down to his own time. If this chair had remained at Jerusalem, it would have been burnt with everything else. Okay, so here Father Lapide is obviously speaking of St. James the Lesser, the first bishop of Jerusalem, because as you know, Santiago, Santiago Mayor, James the Greater, he's the one who went to Spain. And then notice also Christ suggested not just fleeing Jerusalem, but bringing nothing. Why is this? Well, this wasn't just to be detached, but to move rapidly. 
Father Lapide writes, quote, There was then sufficient space after the approach of the Roman armies for the Jews to save their goods and flee, but Christ advises immediate flight as well to signify how dreadful the calamity would be, as well as because when the Roman armies were once in Judea and spreading themselves of the land, there would be no safe place to flee unto. For the fugitives constantly fell into the hands of the Roman soldiers by whom they were despoiled and slaughtered, as Josephus relates at length in the history of the Jewish wars, end quote. And most of you probably know this, but Josephus was a first century Jewish historian in Jerusalem who is considered one of the best ancient historians even today. Josephus wrote about this destruction of Jerusalem when he wrote this, To speak briefly, I am of opinion that no other city ever suffered such calamities, nor in any other nation of which there is memory among men, was the wickedness of the seditious more ferocious. And St. John Chrysostom then says that this is because of the awful nature of their crime by which they crucified their own Messiah Christ, the Son of God. So the church fathers do link these two deeds, um, Roman sacking Jerusalem to the crucifixion of their own Messiah. Father Lapide continues, Josephus adds that Titus, this isn't Titus who Paul wrote to, but the Roman ruler, Titus recognized this vengeance of God and attributed the capture of Jerusalem not to his power, but to God himself. For entering into the captured city, when he saw the height and solidity of the bulwarks and towers, he exclaimed, it is evident that God has helped us to fight. It was God himself who cast down the Jews from those mountains. For what power of man or what machines would have been able to do so? And again, this isn't me. This is just Josephus. So I may not agree with every word here, but it's amazing that a Jewish historian is quoting a Roman pagan saying this. He continues, The same Josephus adds that when Titus, the Roman, went around and saw the ditches full of corpses of the dead, he groaned aloud and lifted up his hands to heaven, called God to witness that it was not his work. And then Father Lapide quotes uh, St. Luke here. This is 21-24 for St. Luke, and this is pretty much the same thing that's being warned of in Luke 21, but there's something uh, Luke captured that Matthew didn't, because Father Lapide says, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, or rather that is Luke being quoted by Father Lapide, they shall fall by the edge of the sword. What does this have to do with uh, what's happening? Well, Father Lapide says, they shall be slain by the swords of the Romans. Josephus asserts that besides innumerable others slain in all parts of Judea, there fell in the siege of Jerusalem alone, 1,100,000 souls who died by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Okay, now where does this leave us with the people who um, claim the Star of David in 2023, 2024? I'll call them the tribe, once again, so as to not uh, tip off the algorithms, but I think I know, I think you know who I mean. Basically, my question is this, how should traditional Catholics see the tribe in 2023 and 2024? I don't have all the answers, but I'll just say for myself, I'm not so trad that I deny those high Holocaust numbers, but I'm obviously not so modernist that I deny that I want to convert the tribe. So where does this leave me in between these two bookends? Well, it means I say to members of the tribe, I don't want you dead. (laughs) Of course, that should go without saying, but I do want you converted. And for some reason, very few Catholics can say that today. Uh, But, you know, I have have Jewish friends like Dennis Prager who appreciate this. When I explained to Dennis Prager at dinner once in Los Angeles why to accept Christ as Messiah, guess what? He wasn't mad at me at all because he's open-minded. But he also knows I'm not a Holocaust denier. So today we have to say to those of the tribe, of course, I don't want you dead, but I do want you to convert. So we have to be bold and we do have to try to convert. In fact, Dennis Prager appreciated my attempt to convert him. So pray for his conversion. 
Okay, and then the next verse, our Lord says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. Now I think we're switching from the end of Jerusalem to the end of the world, uh, because then he adds, our Lord adds, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, last year when Pope Benedict was still alive, the most viewed video I had on Rumble was Father Paul Kramer talking about um, Pope Benedict and what has happened since 2012 and 2013. Well, he wrote an entire book on what's happened to the papacy over the past decade, and it's actually based, the title of his book is based, actually he's written a few books on the papacy over the past 10 years, but he wrote uh, one of his books based on today's verse, Father Paul Kramer's book is called To Deceive the Elect, The Catholic Doctrine on the Question of a Heretical Pope. Now, funny thing is, just a week or two before I recorded today's video, I asked him why so few people, I was talking to him in Ireland, I asked him why so few people see what's going on, and he reminded me of the book and the title that he took, actually from today's verse. This was all a coincidence. I wasn't just ramping this up for... Uh, a cool illusion in today's podcast. But notice Father Kramer is saying not just bad people were going to be ignorant of what finally happens at the final days in Rome. Even good people would be defending it because they think it's obedience. Once again, our Lord said, for there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. But then he also says, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And I think it's um, elsewhere in the Gospels, uh, our Lord says that the elect would be deceived if possible. So once again, it seems at the end of time, even good people would be defending evil because they would think that's obedience. But keep in mind, of course, God, who is the God of truth, would never call us in obedience to defend, for example, unnatural blessings. But the uncovering of the level of how outrageous the evil is getting is just becoming at fever pitch now. And yet there's still some big YouTubers defending this, which is, once again, it shows that even the elect are being deceived. And obviously many non-elect are being deceived and defending it too. But I do believe anyone with even a shred of supernatural faith looks at what's happening in the Vatican and most of the chanceries of the Western Hemisphere. And if you're honest and have even a minor prayer life, you will probably say in the in the depths of your heart, the unthinkable is happening. And again, this is why I believe our Lord's warning is specific to 2024. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Even Father Lapide writes, I shouldn't say even, I mean, he lived 400 years ago. He's obviously greater authority than me but he probably couldn't fathom what would be happening with a Jesuit in 2023 and 2024. But he writes, So as to deceive even the elect, understand this of final falling away in such a sense that the elect should finally fall from grace and be lost, for there is no sure sign of reprobation than that anyone should apostatize from the faith. End quote. And by the way, Father Lapide was a Jesuit, a very holy, prophetic, learned Jesuit, um, so that's not me ripping on the Jesuits. That's me ripping on certain Jesuits who are misleading millions of people. But thankfully, we have Father Lapide who puts us back on track 
for recognizing false Christs, for recognizing what's going to happen at the end of the world. Why? So we can be depressed? No, so we can resist it and realize who truly stands for Catholicism. And I also add the words of Father Lapide, um, because I think if he were alive today, he would, he would um, agree that this warning must include uh, a warning against laity for people who appear to be in the hierarchy, not just people who aren't card-carrying Catholics, because Father Lapide a little bit later says as much, quote, it is meant that so great shall be the temptation that even most holy men, religious and apostolic, who are especially dear to God, would fall away from the faith if such a thing could be, and the more powerful grace and sure election of God did not prevent it, end quote. So it seems Father Lapide even understands that the clergy at the end of time would fall away from the Catholic faith. Hmm, good thing that's not happening, right? Okay, at the end of the world, here's what happens according to Father Lapide reading the Fathers. And this is more the physical than the spiritual. We just covered the spiritual. Here's a little bit of the physical. He says, And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, he means by the Gentiles, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That is, until the end of the world and of all nations. For when the number of the Gentiles, according to God's decree, has been completed, that means when the pagan tribes get baptized, at least many nations all across the globe have some pagan tribes who are baptized. This is my little commentary on Lapide's commentary. He continues, All the people and all the number of the Gentiles shall be finished together with the world. So says Euthemius, or as Bede, until the plenitude of the Gentiles shall enter the church of Christ. And then Father Lapide says this, For when this shall be accomplished, then all Israel shall be saved, as says the Apostle in Romans 11. Now, some modernists have taken that line from Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved, to think that all Jews at 2,000 plus years will be saved, even though they're not baptized. That is not what any of the church fathers meant. It's not what St. Paul meant. It's not what the Holy Spirit meant, as he inspired St. Paul. What that means is that at the end of the world, many, many Jews would enter the Catholic faith. Once again, it's in the future tense in the Greek and the Latin there, all Israel shall be saved. It is not saying every one of the tribe uh, for 2,000 plus years, maybe we don't see the end of the world until you're 3,000 or 4,000 or 20,000. It is not saying that every person in the tribe for those uh, 20,000 years or whatever are going to be saved. No. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus under the tree that night, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, and then back to Matthew 24, Jesus says, the desolation shall continue unto the consummation and the end. Meaning that Jerusalem, after being raised, this is Father Lapide, to the ground and laid desolate by Titus the Roman, shall be no longer the capital city of the Jews, but shall belong to the Gentiles, and after that to the Christians, and after that to the Saracens and the Turks, as it is at present. And this state of things shall continue until the end of the world, when the final Antichrist, he just calls him Antichrist, but when the final Antichrist the king and messiahs of the Jews shall fix the seat of his empire at Jerusalem as is plain from Apocalypse 11.8. He doesn't mean the real messiah of the Jews. He means the putative messiah of the Jews at the end of time. And then shall Enoch and Elias resist Antichrist and convert many of the Jews to Christ. We just talked about this a couple minutes ago. And after Antichrist is slain, all the Jews shall be brought to Christ by the disciple of Enoch and Elias and shall publicly worship Christ in Jerusalem as may be gathered easily from Apocalypse chapter 20, verse 8. So worship of Christ is necessary even by those in the tribe uh, to be saved, and thankfully many will come in 
at the end of time. Okay, and then verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. Now, I have a thought on this. Think about this. Look, here is Christ. That is basically saying, look, here is a new gospel. So if ever in church history, a large group of millions of Catholics would hear many in the hierarchy say something like, you have to accept the magisterium of this person instead of the classic magisterium of the Catholic Church, then you know you're dealing with a hierarchy promoting an antichrist. That's not being an extremist. Our Lord just told the elect, meaning Catholics, that they would be tempted to a new gospel at the end of time. Huh, does that make you think of a magisterium of that council or a magisterium of that person? No, if you're tempted to believe Catholicism can change, then you need to listen very closely to Matthew 24 and Christ's warning against these false prophets. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe. He's talking about a new gospel, I believe. Now, Father Lapide even entertains a possibility that such heretics could enter the hierarchy, as he says, such are heresiarchs who proclaim another Christ in that they affirm other doctrines which are not the doctrines of Christ, but of Antichrist. So when you have heretics in the hierarchy promoting other doctrines, that, says Father Lapide, is tantamount to the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, Jesus explains further in the next verse. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, the Greek here is surprisingly close to the English in those two key words. Listen to see if you can hear it before I explain it. Pseudo Christoi, and the other word is pseudo prophetai. So, pseudo, you actually say the PS, same. Uh, um, letter that we have that starts with the words like psychology. We don't say the P part, but in Greek, you say pseudo. Pseudo-Christoi, and then the word chi is and, and then pseudo-prophetai. So you can probably hear that pseudo-Christoi is the false Christs, and pseudo-prophetai is the false prophets. This is what our Lord is warning about us about at the end of time, and the fathers say it will be tantamount to a new doctrine. And then verses 25 and 26 and 27, our Lord says, See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say to you, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Father Labide says, Christ, quote, shall come the second time to judgment to bless the saints and condemn the wicked. He will appear publicly to the whole world. The judge of all will appear like lightning, radiant with great glory and majesty, so as to dazzle the eyes of all and turn them upon himself in such a manner that no one will be able to doubt that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. He means my advent, my return to judgment will be like the lightning because, here's a few reasons Father Lapide says, first it will be sudden, second will be unexpected, third it will be manifest to all, fourth it will be glorious, fifth it will be mighty so that no one can resist it, sixth it will not be on the earth but in the air like the lightning which makes itself plain to view, not in a corner but to the world in a moment of time, end quote. Okay, and then the last verse for today is wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, it's interesting here, the Latin for those birds in the last verse from today is aquile, which is usually translated as eagle, but here we can see aquila also means vulture, 
as in only vultures gather around a dead corpse. And you can extrapolate that from the context as well as from dictionaries. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, Descendet Super Vos et Maniat Semper. Amen.